Who the Wild Things Are with Ryan McGuire. You gotta listen to your body. Oh my God, maybe, you know, I could get out there. I could do this. Let's take a ride. Find your wild side. Real stories. See with your own eyes. It's so beautiful. I'm gonna have the best time out here. Yeah, I was in tears. I was like, that's the best, man. Welcome back to Who the Wild Things Are. My name is Ryan McGuire, and I'm here to bring you conversations with the most wild folks on the planet. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you enjoy the episode, share it with a friend. Appreciate you guys. Let's get it going. What's going on, guys? Today's episode is brought to you by Go Ruck. Just started working with this company, and man, am I obsessed with their products. They are specialists when it comes to rucking gear. So sandbags, plate carriers, weight vests, anything you're going to use in a ruck, Go Ruck is your company. They make the toughest gear around. And right now, if you use code WILD10, that's W-Y-L-D-10, at checkout, it'll get you guys some cash off your gear. So go ahead, check out Go Ruck at GoRuck.com or use the link in the show notes. Get yourself some gear. Let me know how it goes. Thank you guys for listening. Let's do the show. Well, Hell let's yeah. get it going. Kate, thanks for joining. It's been a little bit... I feel like I haven't seen you that much lately. I know. All the crazy stuff going on in your life, but I know. It's I don't true. I'm trying to I was trying to think today when we met. I don't I think we met this summer after you found Eric on Strava. Mm. And then you just started showing up to his house for yeah. weekend workouts and we were there too. I've known Eric for like five years. Six years? Seven years? No. Six years. Mm. But I think it was at those workouts. You just started showing up and we were like, who's this dude? No, you were playing ping pong with Stu. You guys went on a trail run. That's the first time I met you. Uh, you yeah. and my husband and Eric went on a trail run together. That's right. And then I came over and you were like, I remember you were like, you guys look like you know each other. <laughs> like when I came down into the basement, you were like, the way you guys looked at each other, I think you know each other. That's true. I was like, this dude is different. Like no one says something like that. So yeah, I think that's when we met you. And then Stu was like, as soon as you started talking about what you do, I was like, my husband's gone. He's like going out into the wilderness with this guy. <laughs> yeah. You guys immediately were interested in the wilderness stuff and we got to do the the family course. That's still one of my yeah. favorite courses from last year. Got to take you and your family yeah. out. You got a good gang. We did, yeah. It was a fun time. It was sweet. It was uh it was just different, you know. Yeah. I just wanted to do some different stuff. But my family's like always up for up for whatever. We have our own challenges and issues just like any family, but they're a rowdy, fun crew, so I can't complain too much. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. It's good and stuff. yeah, like you said, it's like very rare that you see a family that's like, Oh, what'd you guys do for your family weekend? Like Oh, we went in the woods, like made fire sticks, yeah. ate dandelions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tried not to cut our hands off with those crazy sharp knives that you gave us. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. I time. allow you guys to cut yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone cut themselves, surprisingly. No, no. It was all good. Yeah. No blood was spilled. Yeah. We still have those knives. Good. Yeah. They're awesome. They're more knives. Yeah. They're so sweet. let's dive in a little bit to your background. Um Maybe if I was an alien landing here, tell me a little <laughs> bit about who Kate Kroll is and, yeah. and sort of what you do. Ooh, loaded question right off the bat. Um, well, from like a business standpoint, I guess I'll start there like professionally. I am a functional nutritionist. I have certifications in um, nutritional therapy and restorative wellness solutions and master blood chemistry, all sorts of different stuff. 
And um, yeah, I just, I started getting into this work because I had a bunch of anxiety and panic attacks and gastro issues growing up that Mm. doctors didn't have answers to and just threw me on a bunch of meds and antacids and like had answers for me that weren't really answers. And I still had questions like a diagnosis of IBS. It's like your gut's irritable. Mm. Why is my gut irritable? What caused that? Why is it irritated? Why is it inflamed? And I just couldn't seem to find any answers. So this all came to a head when I was 20. Um, I was studying global public health and which is essentially like health of populations in developing countries. Mm. So I got a wild hair and was like, if I'm so into this, I want to know what it's actually like being in the field. So I flew by myself like a crazy fucking person to Bangladesh and lived there for a summer and worked in this like international research hospital with women and children in their nutrition rehabilitation unit. Okay. But I got to see the whole hospital and Mm. it was like probably exactly what you have in your mind, (laughs) like super simple global life-saving solutions on a mass scale. And I got to see everything. Like I got to see people with, um, geez, like elephantiasis and you have like those massive swollen limbs from Mm. mosquito bites, crazy tropical diseases, people with tuberculosis, um, that's babies. a big one, right? Tuberculosis yeah. there. TB's big. I mean, everything's big there, right? It's like most of what this research hospital does is focused on looking at diarrheal disease. So like cholera, communicable diseases, things like that. And like most people in Bangladesh die from dehydration from mm. diarrheal disease, which is fucking crazy. It's not surprising, though. I mean, that yeah. makes a lot of sense to me just based on yeah those diseases of the symptoms that come along with them the, oh, most, yeah, the most dangerous being fluids terrible. leaving your body yeah and minerals i mean like there's so much so yeah that was like a crazy time but so i mean even though i got to see the whole hospital i was largely just focused on working in the nutrition rehabilitation unit so i studied global public health but i minored in nutrition and i was like you know going through my own health issues asking all these questions i got to see this hospital function on a mass scale and I just remember being pissed the whole time I was there because I was like there's so much that can be prevented before these people even get to this point like there's Mm -hmm. education gaps there's so many gaps and that's when I was like I think I want to do nutrition like I think this is where a lot of these missing pieces are um and there's a lot of other things I looked at too like vitamin a deficiency and night blindness and zinc deficiency and like gut tight junction cell regulation of like leaky gut autoimmunity all sorts of stuff so i looked at specific nutrient therapies when i was in bangladesh too i did a case study on children and like stunted growth from certain nutrient deficiencies mm. and vitamin d deficiencies and kwashiorkor like all these different crazy things that we used to have in the u.s but we're dealing with chronic issues here now we're in the developing country you have a lot of those communicable and still chronic issues with nutrition but mm. um I think it's between like my experience personally of being like there's these gaps that I'm experiencing in the developed world and there's gaps in the developing world and like nutrition can bridge the gap on a lot of those things of prevention, healing, like all this stuff. So I just jumped head first into all the nutrition stuff. What is the number one thing that they're missing? I, I'm sure it's a multi-pronged approach, but what is the thing they don't have access to that would solve the most of those problems? Oh, my God. Is it clean water? Is it a caloric thing? I mean, like, honestly, everything. Sanitation? All of it. All of it, Like, it's literally open sewage systems. Okay. It's like, I got super sick while I was there. Like, you walk in the streets, it's like 90, 100 degrees out, 99% humidity. Like, it's just swampy. (laughs) 
and they have monsoon seasons like these open sewage systems that are like literally shit and piss running (laughs) right down the street next to the sidewalk like as soon as the skies open up that's in the road yeah it's everywhere sure um and i spent a lot of my time in dhaka so that's like their capital city but the bulk of bangladesh is very rural i mean you go out to the middle of nowhere essentially and i did spend some time in one of their uh separate locations that's called matlab and they do a lot of like rural education and vaccinations and like simple more simple global life-saving solutions not in a hospital setting so Mm -hmm. i got to go see a bunch of like how they do things there but i mean it's just like the most basic human necessities are just like there's no infrastructure there's no rules and regulations around like you have to have a sewage system and this is the standard like there's just none there's none of those things it's sort of a hierarchy of needs thing it's like well why don't they take care of that it's like well these people are mainly focused on getting enough calories to live through the end of the right. day. So if you're worried about that and you don't have money to sustain your life, then where your poop is going is a lot less Doesn't important. Matter. Yeah, It's not at the top of your mind. Right. Well, and the knowledge too, it's like, you know, here in the U.S. and other developed countries, like we all know, like, don't eat where you shit, don't touch your poop, don't drink water that you're shitting in, like just common knowledge. But they don't know these things. They largely, a lot of these people live in the slums. They're uneducated. They only know certain things based on what their grandmother or their mother taught them. I mean, women are getting married and having children at like 12, 13, 14 years old. Like Mm -hmm. the bulk of the women and children that I was working with in this, the NRU, Nutrition Rehabilitation Unit, were you know super young super young multiple kids and it's it's terrible like the thing that's really sad is like watching these young mothers that i was working with they were really just disappointed in themselves Mm. they were like i'm doing everything i can and the best that i know and like i'm still here like my Mm. kid is still sick like they just there's so there's such a huge gap yeah so that was really wild and it's crazy because that's like a lot of the world like there's absolutely a lot of humans just surviving in oh, the world it's yeah crazy. and we don't see it because it's not in our face every day mm-hmm. but i mean like you said it's in a lot of places my yeah early years i would say until I was maybe well it's still this way but micro finance has always been like a yeah. deep obsession of mine because i've always felt like the way to fix that is to bring people out of poverty not necessarily help them out by giving more things because right in my mind that creates more of a cycle and keeps them there it does yeah i mean it's more than just it's not like money is not the only problem right so multifaceted the issue becomes like how do you create enterprise there and Mm -hmm. there's not enough return on investment for any banks to want to lend to them so in bangladesh and some of those areas uh for example there was this bank called grameen bank Mm -hmm. you ever heard of them yep brack bank yeah those were like huge out there yeah yeah so they're basically giving low or no interest loans Mm -hmm. to young entrepreneurs mainly women so they try to do it exactly the opposite of traditional loans which is instead of charging interest they use social pressure low interest loans instead of giving it to men they try to only loan to women and they basically try and do everything the exact opposite to facilitate the uh, transfer of wealth or the generation of wealth in places like that yeah it's fascinating there's a lot of that too with like farm animals because Mm -hmm. if you have animals then you have food and if you can you know obviously reproduce and you know multiply the animals that you have there's a lot of benefit to that because you can sell them you can you can do so much stuff with that too so it's wild it's like a whole literally a whole other world (laughs) yeah there's a lot of work to be done there i think 
I think it's great yeah. that we have people like you that are interested in, in helping out and yeah. serving those it's good that, stuff. that need it. So you've got this this passion for fixing these sort of diseases, and then you come back to the States, and how did it progress from there? You Did you have to study more or, like, change your studies or? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, yeah, when I came back, I was like, shit, like, how, how do I want to get into nutrition in this way and and what does it look like you know what is it like I, I kind of had this idea in my head of like I know the kind of nutrition and practice that I want to carry on but I don't know how to like get educated in the way that I'm hoping that I will and the only thing that really is available um, largely speaking is the RD program so the registered dietitian route but that's you know essentially partnered with USDA FDA Monsanto mm. these large governmental organizations that are also in bed with big pharma and there's tons of, you know, there's just a lot of convoluted information. Hmm. And a lot of my professors in college were people who were RDs and they were just very narrow minded. So like a lot of my undergrad papers, like my undergrad thesis, I wrote on gluten and zonulin and tight junction cells and autoimmunity. So there's this researcher when I was in college, um, Alessio Fasano, that had done all of this incredible groundbreaking research on like the root of autoimmunity stemming from gut health, from tight junction cells in the small intestine, um, having these gaps, having leaky gut. And mm. he was researching like what drives that. So one of the major things that he found was that gluten is one of the top gatekeepers of essentially determining whether those tight junction cells are open or closed. And it really opens the door for autoimmunity. So I wrote my undergrad thesis paper on all this stuff because I was like, holy shit, this is unbelievable. Started digging into it, found a bunch of other research that aligned with it, presented my research of like, here's what I want to write my thesis on. And my professor was like, that's not a real thing. Like, I don't think there's enough research about this. Like, gluten doesn't relate to whatever. Like, I just had a ton of professors that were like, not asking critical thinking questions. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we're in a science degree. Like, we should be able to ask these questions. This is why we're going to school. So I was like, man, I don't know if I want to go like this RD route. So I ended up looking to, into a ton of different programs. So I looked into like chiropractic school, acupuncture, Chinese medicine, naturopathic doctorates programs, all sorts of different things. Um, but obviously a lot of those are like four or five more years of school, shit tons more money. And I was like, I just want to get my hands wet. Like I want to get my hands dirty. I want to yeah. work with people. I want to learn some things. So I ended up going through this certification program, the Nutritional Therapy Association puts on, it's like an NTP. So that was my first cert out of college, um, my Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Certification. And mm -hmm. it's essentially just the baseline foundation of just how the body functions. And it's like exactly what I was hoping that I would get as a foundational education, like straight out of college. Um, so it just, it really put into place like, it really solidified the belief that I had and it validated so much that like the body is designed to heal itself mm. and it's not stupid. Nature is smarter than science. Our bodies are incredibly intelligent. Mm -hmm. And if we can provide the correct environment for the body to thrive, it will. Mm. And so that was like my first cert of like, holy crap, these things that I've been thinking and hoping for and like had in my heart and in my mind of like, I hope this exists because this is exactly how I want to practice. And I feel like there's this gap it like opened that door. So that it's more of like thing. a natural philosophical take on it rather than treating symptoms with medicine. It's more of looking at what your body's naturally trying to yeah. do and facilitating those relationships. Yeah, 
Exactly. And looking at like, they look at the five foundations in the NTA programs. It's like hydration, blood sugar regulation, fatty acid balance, mineral balance, um, and digestion. So like if all of those things, this is their belief, is like if all of those things are set in balance, then everything else in the body can come into balance too. Which is much easier um, said than done, obviously. A hundred percent. Especially in the modern world where we're like constantly inundated. Like we are not hardwired genetically to live in the environment that we live in. Sure. So in my opinion, like in order to really be in optimal health and strive for optimal health, I think no matter what era of the world you're living in, you're always in some state of survival. But mm. especially now, I think there's just like a, like you really have to swim upstream for like good food sourcing, quality foods, you know, lower environmental load. Just, oh my gosh, there's a lot. <laughs> and I feel like, I mean, I naturally have had this distrust for like, you know, Western medicine, I guess, yeah. as it is now. I think a lot of it. So when I was two weeks old, I almost died from meningitis. Holy crap. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And Jeez. they saved me. So I'm very thankful for those doctors. I lived. That was all great. There's like all these videos of like me as a little potato baby and there's like tons of cords and like it looks like a oh scene gosh. out of a movie. And uh, yeah, so I had like a 101 degree fever and my mom's like, he's fine. Like he's two weeks old. He just has a baby fever. Yeah. My dad's like, oh, maybe we take him in. And they're like, yeah, your kid's about to die kind of thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, fevers are crazy when it's babies are wild. tiny. They can get exacerbated real fast. Yeah, and so they had to pump me full of antibiotics like as a baby. And then throughout my like toddler into young preteen years, I had crazy migraines. Interesting. Like I would have to like hit my head against metal or like push it really hard against metal to like release the pressure or have Jeez. my brothers like push my head and, and I would just vomit, like projectile vomit yeah. like while it was happening. It was the craziest thing. Gosh. And I went to all these specialists, like traditional headache specialists. Mm -hmm. They all just prescribed medicine for me. <laughs> they all just prescribed different medicines and none of them worked. Yeah. And I went to a Chinese Jeez. doctor or a guy who had studied Chinese medicine. He put some vials in my hand and moved my arm up and down. Oh, yeah. Muscle testing. Yeah. And he's like, you have a ton of uh, yeast in your body that mm. can't be killed because you use so many antibiotics as a kid. Your body can't fight this off. He's yeah. like, if you take these pills like starting in a week you'll never have migraines again and i've never had one since that's amazing and like he inst i mean it took him 10 minutes yeah and i had been to like all these expensive yeah. high-end like research facilities not a single answer yeah and he just basically tested for what nutrients were and were not in my body yeah it's like the most basic approach right and it solved it like immediately and yeah then, from then on out i'm like okay i'm a little sketched out about <laughs> doctors now because yeah I think it's a, it's a hard thing because there's totally a time and place for Western medicine, right? Like right. when you had meningitis, like you don't want to come to someone like me or that Chinese medicine doctor. Like you want to go to the freaking hospital and get that shit figured out. Absolutely. But I think we tip the scales where like, to me, it's a system issue, right? Like if you look at the medical system and like the industrial medical model that we have, like it's really only designed for one very narrow sect of people who are sick. Mm. And it's people who fall into a disease category who have a clear diagnosis, but then the treatment is always either medication or surgery. And that's just how doctors are trained. And to some extent, you know, I'm obviously in the holistic side, but like on the medical defense, it's like, 
this isn't their fault. It's not the doctor's fault that mm. they were not taught or trained to critically think about things outside of the scope of their practice. Like, <clears throat> you know, they they are really just educated on problems, diagnosing and treating. And it's a very clear line and it's with insurance codes and they're bound to these really intense laws. So it's just, in my opinion, it just sucks that that's the medical model that we have, that we still have. And it creates like this category of people that I often refer to as the walking sick, where like maybe, maybe you don't fall into a disease category. And like maybe the doctors can't diagnose you because you don't fall into a disease category for them with like certain codes and certain mm -hmm. markers and a pattern that they need to diagnose so that they can treat in a certain way. And if that's not happening, then they can't help you. Yeah. And that is like a massive group of the population. And like, that's the group of people that I work with and the group of people that, you know, it sounds like that Chinese medicine doctor worked with when you went to go see him. Cause it's like, if you exhaust the medical model, like they're kind of like, oh, sorry, I don't know what the fuck to do with you now. Like, yeah, <laughs> which sucks. And you, you but, had a little bit of that in your past, right? You had a, 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 yeah. a was it mold? Yeah, gosh, I feel like I've had... I feel like this is just like my life path. Like, I don't yeah. know what your guys' religious beliefs are, but for me, it's like, I just feel like I chose and God chose for me to be like, you're going to eat shit and you're going to be so passionate to figure it out that when you do figure it out, you're going to go help a bunch of other people. It's so important and to have I've that just, eating shit phase. Yeah. yeah. Fuck those phases, though. They're so rough. They're, They're important, like the though. hardest phases. Nobody likes a yeah. story where everything goes well, though. Now you got to prove know, it. You, you got to go there. Those, those stages. A hundred percent. So I feel like I've had waves of that. Like, you know, growing up, it was like anxiety, panic attacks, not knowing what the hell is happening to me, like feeling crazy, being diagnosed with like panic disorder and being like disorder. Like, what the hell? I have all these problems with me. But like I was living in a house that had mold and I didn't know it. And I grew up in a house that like, you know, was a little emotionally unstable, like nothing crazy. I have incredible parents, but like. You know, there's just some nuance there that was like pretty stressful as a kid that I took on myself and internalized mm. a lot of things that created a ton of anxiety as well, compounded on like an environment that was really toxic. <laughs> like we had yeah. black mold in our basement and at the time and my parents did the best that they could, but like they just painted over it. But like wow. spores travel and they go through an HVAC system and they get breathed throughout the rest of your home, like your HVAC or the lungs of your home. So I didn't know any of this shit until Stu and I, this was in, gosh, 2019. Uh, we moved into a house that had a shitload of mold in it. We had no idea. It was like this adorable, cute little house. It was our first home that we bought. We were like so psyched. And um, yeah, the crawl space under the home, we had a two, it was a 2,000 square foot ranch, but the entire crawl space was like loaded mm. with mold. And probably a really big crawl space. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, it was probably like... I don't know, three, four feet deep. And it was the entire 2,000 square feet right. underneath the house. So lots of room for Dude. darkness and moisture yeah. and all the things that exactly. mold and fungi love. It was like an incubator for like the worst mold species that impact human health. Did so, you like, guys see it down there? We not? didn't. So here's kind of the fucked up thing that like if anyone is listening to this podcast, like if you when you buy a home, get your general inspection. And if you're like prone to health issues, get a mold inspector. Mm. General inspectors usually don't catch mold. Um, ours didn't. And we even had a general inspector back in before we did a mold inspection and he didn't find anything. And then when we had like a genuine mold inspector, he was like, oh, my God, this is like one of the worst homes I've ever seen. No. So the whole process of uncovering all of that was like, 
really kind of a crazy story. Like it started with my health tanking. It was like slowly and slowly, like all of these symptoms that I had growing up started coming back. And I had kind of put them all into remission. Like I didn't have IBS anymore. I didn't have anxiety and panic attacks anymore. Like all this stuff was just gone. Mm. And then we moved into this place and it was like, I was kind of anxious. I was kind of having trouble sleeping. I was having like these weird fucked up dreams. And then my stomach like went south. I was having like this crazy bile diarrhea of like super bright neon colors, like Whoa. maybe TMI for the podcast. I feel like I talk about poop all the time with clients. That's okay. <laughs> just it. go there. Um, but it was like, it was just a really weird experience. And I remember thinking like, something's really off. Like this is, this is really weird. This is different. Mm. Um, and Stu and I at the time unexpectedly got pregnant, unexpectedly lost the baby that we had at mm. like, seven weeks right before the first ultrasound and that was like the big wake-up call like i had had all these symptoms that were piling but i was like i'm good i'm good like i got this i'll figure it out like i'm taking these supplements like i've been here before i've got this figured you know i can take care of it and it just wasn't getting better and i think i was kind of in denial of how bad it was getting Mm. and then once we had the miscarriage i was like whoa like slap in the face there's something really wrong here like i've soon i've both been really healthy for a long time like i don't know why i would be having a miscarriage this early um, so yeah, I had a lot of colleagues. I mean, I was running my blood work cause I pull all my blood panels and functional labs like two times a year consistently to see what's going on. And there was just all this weird stuff showing up patterns I had never seen before things I had never seen before. So I went to multiple functional medicine doctors in Denver. No one could tell me what was wrong. It was like the same whole story again, like what you experienced, what I experienced when I was younger, it was like the same BS um not for lack of trying it was just like these people didn't know and so they i haven't been trained to right. go through that what i'm 100%. curious i've been getting some blood work lately what were the things that that showed up that you knew like the alarm was going off in your head when you saw those yeah i mean at the time i'm trained now to help people detox mold and look for these patterns and parasites and all sorts of stuff after like going through this two years ago and now helping like hundreds of people go through this stuff now it totally changed my practice because at the time this all happened like I was actively working with a ton of clients on like nutrition and root cause work and all this stuff. But I was hitting these walls where like 80% of my clients were doing great and 20% were like not getting better. And I was uh. like, what is this? What is this? And then I went through all this shit and then had these crazy patterns. So at first I didn't really understand like what was going on, but like now of course I can speak to like what those patterns look like. So, you know, with mold, like some of the biggest things that show up are, I mean, it's kind of like a cascade of a bunch of different stuff because it's rare that you're ever going to see like mold isolated by itself. You usually see it with like immune dysregulation, red blood cells off and out of whack and like parasite markers because they kind of all go hand in hand. Okay. Um, but the biggest thing for me was like my uh, my red blood cells, hemoglobin, hematocrit. I had a bunch of cellular dehydration markers, which is super common for mold because it literally dehydrates your body on a cellular level it's just like soaking up everything from the cells Mm. um i also had super low cholesterol really low biomarkers and very low co2 so co2 and oxygenation of your blood cells when you're looking at a cpc is really common too um because again those you know mold is really choking out the cells on a cellular level is it in the body yes so the mold is now inside of you yes so mold If you look at the anatomy of mold, it has um, like its flowering head, the body and a root. It's like a tree, has a whole root system. Like a mushroom. Exactly, just like a mushroom. Um, But 
some molds, not all molds, have toxins that they release called mycotoxins. So there's about seven to 10 species of molds that are toxic to the human body. Um, some of them are, some of them aren't. And I think common knowledge, a lot of us think like, oh, if it's not black mold, it's not a big deal. And that's not um. true. So like there's aspergillus, penicillium, um, black molds, like official scientific name is stachyboytrees. So like stachy is really hard to get rid of. It is like one of the worst molds to deal with. But there's a ton of other molds that are just as terrible, if not worse, depending upon your genetics and like your toxic burden as to how your body can can or cannot detox these mycotoxins. So the way that these mycotoxins work is they kind of like branch off of the flowering head of the mold and they travel um, and they're essentially attacking things, right? Like all you plants. You when they branch off, is that the spores? No. So mycotoxins and spores are different. So okay. spores are like the seeds. Because mycotoxin sounds like mycelium. That's why I'm like, yeah. trying, I wonder, oh, I guess my colleague. You need to like draw a picture. I guess all of, is, <laughs> does mike mean fungi? Maybe? Myco, M- like M-Y-C. M-Y-C-O. Does that mean fungi? Maybe. Okay. Um, like I would mycology, assume so. mycologist. I would uh, assume so. Yeah. Okay. But I actually don't really know. But so there's like. The flowering head, the body, the root system that connects to a bunch of other, you know, species, just sure. like any type of fungus. But out of that flowering head, spores will release, whereas kind of like their seeds, spores are like their seeds. Um, but these toxins, these mycotoxins, it's a defense chemical. So mm. like, as we all know, plants have defense chemicals. They can't like get up and run away. They can't bite whatever's trying to attack them. So they have these defense chemicals. That's what these mycotoxins are. So mold will often release these mycotoxins when they're being threatened. So like people who will go in and they're like, oh, I found black mold. I'll just scrape all this crap off. Like Mm. you're actually creating microscopic explosions of these mycotoxins that you're exposing yourself to. So don't do that. If I find some in the basement, I shouldn't do that. Don't mess with it. What should I do? I would reach out to like a mold inspection company, get it swab tested so you know what species you're dealing with and then get it remediated by someone who like does remediation those poor people though like aren't they i know well a well-educated group of people who have these businesses know that it's a biohazard that they're dealing with the unfortunate thing is there's a lot of remediation companies that do a plethora of different things of like water damage and fire damage and mold damage and they like loop it all in together but the reality is like mold is a biotoxin Mm. and it's crazy toxic so like the first first guys we had come in look at our crawl space they were like yeah sweet you know go check it out and they just like went down there and i was like these fucking dudes like they have to be so sick like i mean how many houses are they doing this in like how much of this terrible air are they breathing in um so like when we finally got like high quality medically educated treating mold like a biohazard that it is these guys came in with like full suit, suit. respirators. Well, I just I found like, your new client list. God. You know, you just call yeah. those companies. <laughs> you can literally companies. sell it. You just got See, your whole client real. list. It's so crazy. That's wild. Yeah. Mold is really mold is really insane. The crazy thing about mold too, I think that's not really spoken about very much is like and honestly toxins in general, like a plethora of environmental toxins too, not just mold, but mold especially is like very um it impacts the brain a ton and it's mm got a really negative energy to it. So like the rates of depression, suicide, suicide ideation involved with people who are dealing with mold is like through the roof. Wow. It's like we'll get clients that have crazy emotional shit and I'm like, we have to look for mold. And most of them have it, which is crazy. That is remarkable to think that whatever you're going through, especially like 
non-event oriented depression like that stuff where it's just like a normal day and you feel terrible yeah could be caused by the stuff in your walls 100 percent. well and it's there's i mean there's a lot that kind of plays into that but um there's this guy dr mark or matt pratt hyatt he's a one of the scientists that created one of the first urine mycotoxin tests, which is how you test for mold because the mm. kidneys flush out a bunch of mycotoxins in the body. It's just the natural detox pathway. We kick it. Um, but he is a researcher on genetics, toxicants, and their expression. And he, I had him on my podcast years ago, and he was just harping on like people who are dealing with non-event-related depression, mental health, bipolar schizophrenia like we have to look at environmental toxins and mold and lime and things like this because it's they're all massively neuroinflammatory mm. and our whole belief system and like science around all of our mental health issues is largely focused on like oh you just have a chemical imbalance and like that whole theory has been disproven it's all inflammation related or like, like psychotherapy like oh you're depressed and you need to right. go like talk to somebody about it and it'll all work itself out well it's like right maybe i guess what you're saying is yeah maybe it's not have to do with that at all right and it's totally based on your environmental toxins yeah it definitely could be i mean and especially for me like kind of pulling it all together like there's a process in the body called methylation it's part of our major detoxification pathways it happens billions of times every single second in every single cell in the body Mm. so it's a massive you know biochemical process in the body but about 90 percent of like the activity of methylation happens in the liver Um, but you can have a bunch of different types of methylation mutations where your body is not processing or conjugating or has the correct cofactors to convert you know an inactive form of a nutrient to an active form of a nutrient or to take cofactors for GABA or cofactors for dopamine and properly process those things. So Mm. there's pathways on methylation, mutation, genetics, where it can either impact mental health, it can impact physical health, it can impact nutrient processing. So for example, like I have a methylation mutation where my body doesn't convert beta carotene, which is the inactive form of vitamin A into retinol. Mm. So like if I want to get vitamin A, which is massively important to like your eye health your skin health it's one of our top fat soluble vitamins you know if i want to make sure that i have good stores of vitamin a and i'm not going to like have macular degeneration and like get night blindness and not see at night and then start to lose my vision as i get older like i have to eat red meat Mm -hmm. i have to get retinol from like real bioavailable sources i can't just eat carrots like if i were plant-based i would have like the worst health ever because of my methylation status so let's dive into that a little bit crazy you're saying methylation being these natural processes in your body why is it more advantageous for you or what makes meat more bioavailable than a plant or than a capsule so when we're talking about bioavailability we're essentially looking at how easily and readily absorbed and utilized nutrients are from our food. Mm. So if we think about like a synthetic supplement capsule that you'd buy, you know, most people are familiar with like Nature Made, mm-hmm. which side note is an absolute shit supplement company. Don't eat that crap. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. <laughs> Don't consume it. Um, but a lot of these synthetic isolated nutrients, they're not in a synergistic form. They're mm. not recognized by the body. Bioavailability is extremely low. One of my favorite examples to share around this is like vitamin C. So if you like go to the store and you look at vitamin C capsules, you know, huge through COVID, huge through Mm -hmm. flu season, any season, 
Most forms of vitamin C are ascorbic acid. If you flip that supplement supplement around and you look, it'll say ascorbic acid, like 1,000 mm-hmm. milligrams, whatever. So ascorbic acid is actually like the outer layer of the molecule of vitamin C. And if you look in nature, let's say like in an orange or a lime or a lemon, citrus rose has hips. rose hips, all these great things that are high, high in vitamin C. There's a shit ton of other nutrients and compounds that work synergistically for the optimal absorption and the bioavailability of the vitamin C that's in that food. Mm. So like as humans, we're hardwired to eat real food from the planet that we have, you know, grown on and into. So like when we start to try to, you know, outsmart nature and we say, oh, vitamin C is really good. We've recognized this. Let's isolate this nutrient, pull out the most important part. And then like, you know, high dose the crap out of it. And like, that's great for immunity. There's some truth to that, but you're also missing out on genuine bioavailability of your body being able to utilize that nutrient on a high level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a supplement standpoint, I think that's massively important. It's like all the supplements that I work with are all whole food based. Like we don't isolate individual nutrients. We don't use synthetic form of nutrients. I work with all these supplement companies that are all food based um and then you know like with meat versus plants this is controversial um sure but the reality is meat is much more bioavailable than plants are because plants have a bunch of defense chemicals they have you know just like we were talking about with mold it doesn't want to be eaten it doesn't want to be attacked it doesn't want to be you know invaded on in any kind of way so when we eat plants we're consuming a bunch of anti-nutrients lecithins all sorts of different things linoleic acid yeah i mean there's there's a lot of different things it's not to say that plants are bad it's just you know i think for a lot of people looking to feel their absolute best have the highest quality of performance have the highest quality of sleep and sex drive and energy and recovery like if you are solely eating plants the longevity of that you know, of your health span is questionable Mm. from like a bioavailability standpoint. And also from the standpoint that, you know, meat has nutrients that are necessary and essential for optimal human function that plants just don't have. Mm. So like I, I'm not like carnivore. I don't think that like you should only eat meat and screw plants. Like not at all. I think we should be eating everything and it should be food in its most whole form. Mm -hmm. But I do think meat is absolutely like a huge piece of an optimal, healthy diet for humans for optimal function. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, obviously I eat a lot of meat, but (laughs) I also think this like rise of this carnivore thing is a little bit ridiculous in some ways that we, we speak about and to call things like vegetables, I wish if we were like going to discuss this in a in like a educated matter, I'm not a botanist or anything, but like yeah, using the term vegetable is just lazy at this point. Like, are we talking yeah. about a fruit? Or are we talking about the roots? Because those two are completely different in all shapes and fashion. Right. They're as similar as the hoof of an animal and the heart of an animal. Right. Yeah. It's roots and a fruit and a leaf and a stem yeah. they're all very different so we can't just say plants are this and animals are that right it's like why don't we take a little bit closer look because clearly yeah fruit is bright and beautiful and tastes great to all of us and we've clearly yeah grown to love it for more than one reason so yeah i mean we're hardwired to go after fruit right like we look for it like it's primal to be like oh something bright and incredible exactly. like it must be great and it usually is exactly so there's an element of just 
I don't know. I feel like where we're at in like the nutrition space and just in the world in general these days is like we have broken things down into the smallest point and then scrutinized the shit out of it and then mm-hmm. started arguing about all those things. And it's like we're forgetting the big picture. Like yeah. We're forgetting the fact that, you know, like I was saying earlier, like we're not hardwired for this crazy fast paced modern environment that we're living in. We're not hardwired to eat like these Franken foods that are chemically laden with like yellow number five and like glyphosate and god knows what of these like chemically created things it's like there's so much that like that should really be a bigger part of the conversation Mm. um you know on a larger scale in my opinion more so than like meat is bad plants are bad like pulling these food groups it's like to me it's the quality it's like are these plants properly prepared Mm. if they are full of anti-nutrients and lectins and all these different things like you should be soaking sprouting and fermenting those foods so you're breaking those down and getting the nutrients that are in that food right like there's a way to do this right for sure how's the meat being processed i'm sure and maybe you can tell me more about this but i would think the nutrient profiles of a cow that was grown in your neighbor's farm versus a cow that was farmed 2,000 miles away and it was in a tiny little pen with 400 cows and then got shipped on a thing and then freeze dried and then shipped again and ends up at your door. I think those two pieces of meat probably have very different nutrient profiles and one's probably more bioavailable. A hundred percent. It's funny because I just introduced you to Carter Country Meats and they're the best. They're like just the nicest people. Legit. Legit AF. But they... uh, so they just had a third-party testing on the nutrient density of their meat, and they compared it to store-bought grass-fed beef. Mm. So their phytonutrient and amino acid profile, amino acids are building blocks of protein, so their protein structure and profile to their beef, and phytonutrients, very important micronutrients, um, are 65 to 75% higher than that of store-bought grass-fed beef because of those exact reasons. Yep, and you have the nutrient piece of it, the 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 health side of it and then you have the fact that like you're gaining a personal relationship with the farmer and the person responsible right. for the food on your family's table 100 is just as important in my mind as as what's in the meat 100 percent, and it's like it's as nature intended right it's like this whole theme that we're kind of talking about of like nature is smarter than science like we've yeah. tried to outsmart the natural ways of how things just work and it's like we need to slow down and back up and I think that's the cool thing that Carter Country Meats does is like they have 40,000 acres of land that is, I think, fourth generation now. And RC and Ania have just decided, like, we're going to try this regenerative thing and like see what the hell happens. And everyone around them thinks that they're out of their minds um, because they're doing the conventional stuff. They're on subsidies. They're working with the government closely. They're, you know, using genetically modified whatever. But like they've got crazy water runoff. Their soils aren't absorbing any of the water that hits the land. Um, they're working with an insane amount of pesticides and herbicides and things that are killing off bugs and birds and frogs and amphibians and things. So like the biodiversity drops. Mm -hmm. And because of that, then you have these bare soils that you create this desertification process over time. And we're seeing that all over the world. So if you look at the way that like regenerative ag works and what RC and Ania are doing and what a lot of farmers are starting to do now is like, they're going back to how this was really supposed to function. They're yep. holistically managing the land. They're putting animals on the land. They're rotating them naturally as they would in nature of like if you have a bunch of buffalo out on the plains, there's going to be packs of wolves that are going to come after them. So mm-hmm. you're going to have this natural rotation of like large herds of these animals kicking up the dirt, mm-hmm. you know, 
leaving a bunch of cow pies fertilizing the soil and then they're going to dig it up and they're going to run away because they're being chased by all of these predators yeah and that whole process creates you know a breakdown of the soil you break open the soil you fertilize it you move all these grasses around by nature you're planting all of these different things and then those animals are moving and so that land and those grasslands have a chance to regrow Mm. you've got more biodiversity you know, all of these things are happening. So like one of the cool things that RC and Ania have told us is that like they have bird species that they haven't seen for years that are like on their land now. That's really cool. They have like frogs and amphibians and weird things that they haven't seen for years that are back. They've got these, you know, insects they've never seen before and their soil health and quality has just exponentially increased. And I mean, like the nutrient density in their meat is like undeniable yeah it's tested it's like amazing it certainly seems like the right way to go about the the modern problem the only downside 100%. being the cost of the end user <clears throat> which yeah which sucks and you know i understand people are like well what if i can't afford that and i think i think it's a great question and i wonder what your take on that would be yeah i think that you know this is like a really challenging thing especially coming from you know global public health background where we're looking at you know, when I was in college, it was like genetically modified foods are the future of the developing world Mm. because we can grow anything in any kind of environment because these, you know, these seeds are so indestructible. Just super resistant. Crazy resistant. But we've never looked at the long-term, you know, health implications of these things. I think we're starting to see them chronically in the U.S. of just the crap that we've put. Since the industrialization era, this is kind of like a separate topic, but you can go back and look at like industrialization era, post-World War II, things that change in our dietary intake um, and the amount of chemicals and crap that we started putting in our food and like everything chronically health just plummeted. Um, But yeah, I think that from a standpoint of, you know, price point, profitability, sustainability, feeding a massive population, a growing population, it's really hard. And the thing that's really challenging is like this model works like this carter country meets model works but they're trying to feed their community mm-hmm. and like you can you can ask them i've had these conversations with these guys but they're like look we're not trying to feed the world right. we're not trying to like solve these massive population problems like we're trying to feed our state of wyoming and we're trying to feed the state of colorado and the states around us from this yeah. food that we have and i think that is one of the biggest challenges is like we have gone so industrial with Mm -hmm. everything that we've done because we're trying to solve these like big world problems these big nationwide problems where i think a lot of this stuff if we were to back up and go a little more grassroots and more people were like hey i'm gonna get my meat from carter country and i'm gonna like drive to this drop-off point at like the denver meat locker and like this is where we get our meat Mm -hmm. instead of the easeability of instacart or go to whole foods or go to sprouts or wherever you get your meat and like that's where you're getting things it's like the whole you know, the whole model has changed since like our grandparents' time. We're so comfortable with the easeability and everything of the modern world that like, you know, it takes extra time to do that. And these farmers and these ranchers that are doing this direct to consumer model, like they have to play into that game, unfortunately, of direct to your doorstep. And that's what makes it expensive. Yeah. So, you know, it's like all of the packing, the shipping, the delivery, the UPS, like all that crap to get this meat directly to you. If you don't want to drive to the meat locker, if you don't want to like, you know, go to these other places, then it is more expensive, but it doesn't have to be. It just means that the model has to change. So yeah. And it it becomes, it has to become more of a a priority, right? 
I think there's, yeah. I need, mean, I mean, at least for me, it's like, I have this trade off. It's like, okay, do I want to fuel my body with better fuel? What things am I going to have to miss out on in order to do that? And, and where's the trade off yeah. there? I think, and I guess a point on the industrialization of, of beef in general and why yeah. it has so much larger of a footprint than we realize. This is why I love listening to vegans. Cause like I'm not <laughs> vegan, but when I hear them, I'm like, Oh, that's why they're pissed. Cause it's yeah. really good to hear about it. For and sure. the percentage of corn and massive fields and agriculture that has to occur and basically deforest yeah. the United States in order to feed corn and soy fed yeah. cows. It's it's way more like you see all those fields. You think they're mm-hmm. for feeding humans. They're for feeding. Yeah, no, it's feed corn. Yeah, it's just yeah. for factories of cows to get right. churned through so that you can have McDonald's. Yeah. And then you sit back you're like, oh, now I see why they're pissed. hundred percent. I'm like, you don't have meat doesn't have to be against non meat. Like you can be on the same right. team, but right. there's no room for that in no. social media. You it's can't. crazy. And I think that it's like what I was saying a little bit ago, of like we're arguing about the wrong shit. Like we need to pull up and out of the weeds a little bit, like no pun intended, but in my mind, and I think this is kind of what you're getting at, but like it really is an issue of like regeneration versus industrialization. Mm-hmm. And I think that that common ground, like I think, no matter how the hell you eat, we can all agree that like Cowschwitz is not the ideal way to right. be consuming animal proteins if you're going to be consuming them. Yeah. Like it would be this regenerative model that I think even plant-based folks and people who are vegan and vegetarian would say like, I could be okay with that. You know, I still wouldn't do it, but like yeah. this model is ethically, you know, more comfortable for me to stomach. And I've heard that but, a lot from like vegans with the hunting thing. They're like, oh, you like hunting. That sounds yeah. like something I could get behind. Or, yeah, it's different. You know, it's It does become an issue of scale, though. It's like not everyone can be a hunter. Not everyone can have a family farm. And so it's about yeah. making these sustainable, uh, I don't know, sources of meat that everyone can have access to. So right. it's, it's definitely a tough problem. And I, I don't think that Dude, anyone has a single answer that will solve all of it. No. Yeah. And this is like, you know, I think you just have to go to like what's going to work for you. Right. Right. Like we all vote with our dollar three times plus a day. And that's like where I reside and have comfort and confidence in my food choices is like we get raw milk from a local dairy farmer. I get my meat from RC and Ania, these fourth generation incredible ranchers. Like I know them. I see them on their horseback, like ripping around and hurting their cows and doing all this stuff. It's like I know where a lot of my food is coming from. Like we do veggie CSAs locally when it's in season from local Colorado places out in the springs. Like I think it's so important to get plugged in and know where your food comes from. Mm -hmm. And when you do it that way, like there are cheaper options. Mm -hmm. Like it is cheaper to do veggie CSAs than it is to go to Whole Foods and buy crap that's like organically grown in Mexico that got shipped over the course of like a month to get here to the state of Colorado where we usually have shipped produce. So I think there's... You know, there's like a model to to be worked out. But the unfortunate thing is like most people are not going to take that time. You know, the simplicity of being in the modern world and just like whatever, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to do this and it's going to be fine. And I have everything that I need here. Like that's what most people are going to do. Yeah, that's how we're hardwired. It's how all of us were raised. Mm -hmm. So I think you either, you know, you really have to give a shit. You have to have some sort of like moment that is defining for you in your own life that brings you into this world um or health issues you know i think there's a lot of different reasons and avenues as to how people get into yeah 
this world of caring, you know, like with you and hunting, like you probably didn't always care about that or weren't as passionate as you are now, but there's didn't probably something a, even a little bit. Yeah. My dad used to serve me steak and then tell me we don't kill animals. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, Seriously? Yeah. From a very young age. And I was like, what is, he would get mad because we would catch the fish and he would always want to release them. And mm. I would say, well, why don't we eat them? And th- there was like always this battle there. He's like, we don't kill animals. I'm like, what? We have steak. Yeah. But it turned out he had a, a crazy fear of blood. Oh, yeah. And I, I, it took, you know, there's this saying by Jordan Peterson, one day your kids are going to figure you out. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, when you're a kid, you think your parents, everything's great. And yeah. then, like, you start to figure out where your parents' flaws are or, like, yeah, what human completely too. didn't make sense that they taught yeah. you. Like, <laughs> we don't kill animals, but we eat steak. And yeah. now I look back on that. I'm like, Ryan, you, you knew better. Like, you, yeah. you should have you caught on to that one. But, yeah, there's there's those little things that you, you catch on to. And For sure. on the point of being more intentional and close with your food, one thing that I think is interesting that you would never know unless you go through an experience is that it doesn't only make you feel better internally, but your internal rhythms allow you to be nicer to the other people. 100%. If your stomach feels terrible all the time and you are feeding your body crap, it is very hard to externally treat people yeah. the way you want to because you're, you're constantly be battling these things, anxiety <laughs> and this pain and all these different things that are going yeah. on in you. It's hard to be the best version of yourself for others. A hundred percent. Which I think is a very underrated and rarely talked about thing that, yes, literally making your diet better will make you a nicer person. Yeah, literally. (laughs) It will make you a nicer person. It's crazy. Well, and the thing is, like, all these processed foods and crap, you know, obviously have a massive impact on our overall health, but especially microbiome and, like, Mm -hmm. gut-brain connection is massive. So, like, you start messing up the microbial balance of your gut and we have micro you know we have microbiomes all over the place in our eyes our skin our sinuses like there's different microbiomes everywhere but i feel like people are largely just familiar with the gut microbiome because it's like you know such a hot topic over the last decade or so but like you start to mess up those microbes like we have an insane amount of bacteria and microbes in the human body that we have a very synergistic relationship with but like you start to fuel and feed and offset that ecosystem it's going to impact your personality it's going mm-hmm. to impact your mood it's going to impact your ability to show up in the world as the person that you want to show up as yeah um so yeah 100 percent spot on with that i've seen a lot of research lately about <clears throat> the amount of your decision making and different things going on in your frontal cortex that are <clears throat> we always b- believe the brain was in charge of everything, mm. but a lot of like thought processes are now actually yep. connected to what's going on in your stomach. Yep. I'm sure that's probably half of your work is, is studying yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's what's interesting. And like you were just texting me about this, but is like looking at parasitic infections and parasites. Oh, yeah. And we need to get into impacts. that. Let's, I, need, I need to. Yeah. <laughs> this is for me. You guys can stop listening if you want. <laughs> this is this is a selfish point of the podcast where I need to figure out what I got. <clears throat> yeah. No, parasites are huge, man. Parasites are a big deal. I think it's it's like a it makes people squirm. Right. Mm. Like, I guarantee you there's people that are like parasites. What? I might have them like freaking out even just hearing that. Like, yes, they exist. You know, unless like we deworm our dogs, we deworm our cats, we deworm large animals like go to any farm. They yeah. have an insane amount of deworming medications sure. that they're giving their their animals. Um my friend's so, mother does like dog boarding mm, yeah. and 
she came up to me seeing that I was like drinking a lot of questionable water on my walkabouts and whatnot. Dude, you're loaded. And she was like, I'm going to make you take dewormer. And I'm like, really? Yeah. She's like, yeah, you need to. So I don't know. Is this true? Like if you had to guess, do I have worms? We all have parasites. We all, okay. So we like all if you have a pulse, you have a parasite. Okay. Word. Guaranteed. That makes me feel better. Now, yeah. No, we listening. all, we all have them. Um, I mean, think about it. Like think about, and it's like a funny thing, right? Like it's taken me a while to get to this mindset where I'm like, duh, of course this is how it is. But like we as humans think that we are above essentially everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like we think we're smarter. We think we're better than like everything that exists in the world. We think separate we're separate from nature. Yes. Like we think we're this totally separate entity that just dominates everything. And we do dominate everything, but we're not outside the bounds of nature. We're not outside the bounds of our biological and physiological beings. Mm. Like we are prone to, you know, we're going to die. Everyone's going to die one day. Like Mm. we're not outside all of these things. So it's funny to me. And I think it's only natural to squirm thinking about parasites because it's an uncomfortable, odd thought. But the reality is like we are constantly in contact with different bacteria and microbes and toxins and things that are getting into the human body is what the immune system is there for. Um, and I do think there there is an element of a synergistic relationship with parasites in the human body, just in general, like based historically on research. And like we can get into that in a second. Um, and I see this in my own practice, too, of like people dealing with, you know, heavy metals, environmental toxins, Lyme disease and mold like parasites hold up to six times their body weight in all of those things so there's an element of parasites i think being protective to some extent Mm -hmm. but it's when they start to proliferate and take over and throw off immune function and balance that it becomes an issue so you know is parasites you know are these parasites a problem for everyone probably not but as soon as a parasitic infection starts to tip the scales on like your, you know, T1 and T2 helper cells of your immune function, you're going to have an issue. What is, sorry, what your T1? So T1 and T2 are just, you know, your helper T1 cells and your helper T2 cells. Your immune system is, you know, very complex, but there's a, a large element of immune function that's a balance of these T1 and T2 cells. Mm. So helper T1 cells are largely focused on acute illness, acute infection, cold, um, parasitic infections, things like that. Helper T2 cells are largely functioned on, um, not functioned on, but largely focused on supporting more chronic infections. So like if you have a retrovirus, it keeps that at bay. If you have um, some sort of chronic illness, it helps keep that at bay. So we kind of have like this acute and chronic balance of T1 and T2 cells. So like one of the biggest things that I see with parasitic infections with our clients that are dealing with more complex chronic inflammatory stealth illness, like um, you know ongoing IBS, ongoing Crohn's, ongoing mold illness, Lyme disease, co-infections, things like that. Like we have to hit parasites with these people because parasites are usually taking up so much of the T1 cells that like this scale gets completely out of balance where like the body and immune function is so focused on t1 and acute issues mm. that t2 function drops and then you see these acute you know chronic long-standing issues just like through the roof so could you so. cure something like crohn's with just diet and lifestyle and all of that sort of stuff or is that one that would require you know the traditional western medicine what's what's like the best thing on a serious digestive yeah. issue like that so this is a, this is a tricky question because I'm Am not I a doctor. Am I getting you in trouble? 
I mean, I'm very comfortable talking about these things and like we have disclaimers and legalities and shit covered, but like I'm not a doctor. I don't diagnose or treat disease. I legally cannot say that I cure anyone. People that I work with are my clients. They're not my patients. So there's all these things. So Uh. like I'm just going to correct you there for a moment of like cure. Like I cannot say that. A doctor could say that. Um, Could you consult effectively with someone? Very effectively. Okay. So when we look at something like, you know, Crohn's or IBS or, you know, these more complex issues, it's rooted under the same you know, umbrella as anything that's going to cause some sort of chronic inflammatory disease. Like when really when you break it down and you look at illness and you look at like, you know, the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of diagnosis that you could possibly have and plethora of symptoms, if you root it all back up and look at the big umbrella that's creating that, it's really only a few things that are driving illness and driving disease states and driving dysfunction and symptoms. And a lot of that is focused on immune dysregulation, metabolic issues, um, and stress. Like, these are, like, the three biggest things. And, like, what's driving that immune dysregulation? You know, could be parasites, could be environmental toxins, could be stress-related, you know, metabolism stuff. Like, obviously, we all know how big metabolic disease is, metabolic syndrome, people with diabetes, cardiovascular disease, like you know, all these dietary metabolic related things. So like, it's really not that confusing. And I think that's one thing that I love about the work that I do is like, we'll get people who are like, I've been to five doctors. No one can tell me what's wrong. I've been diagnosed with 20 things. Can you help me? And I'm like, yeah, we can help you. Like what you have going on is probably not this complex. Like Mm. these are all symptoms. Yeah. You don't have 20. They're treating the symptoms rather than the root cause. Right. And so then it becomes this like, you know, diagnosis, slap on a med another diagnosis slap on another med and then you have all these drug interactions and, yeah, and then all those of these... drug interactions are probably causing a lot of issues right. on their own 100 percent. well and all meds essentially every medication down regulates mitochondrial function it creates an insane amount of nutrient deficiencies so like if we're losing cofactors and we're losing energy and we're losing atp like you're just slowly shutting systems down in the body sure. so like meds you know, and this is just my opinion, but like, you know, meds long term do a lot more damage. Maybe they're going to increase your lifespan, but they're not increasing your health span. Yeah. You're not getting to the root of like, you know, why you have MS or why you have IBS or, you know, some of these complex things. So, so I want to dig into the, the parasites for a second. Shoot, I'm ready. So what questions well, do you have? One thing you said a minute ago, which I want to touch on, you said like it can be like a mutually beneficial relationship, like a symb- mm-hmm. symbiosis. Like I'm the shark and the parasite's that little fish that swims under yeah. his fin. And like he cleans me off and I keep him protected. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Like in, in my body right now, there's parasites and I keep him safe and he's like helping me out in there. I do think that there is. Yes. Yes. So there is there is some new research that's coming out about this. Um, I think it makes biological sense that this would be an element of parasites. Like we've evolutionarily speaking, grown up with these microbes and these parasites and all of these things, like since the beginning of time. Um, so, you know, kind of looking back at that comment that I made that parasites hold up to six times their body weight in heavy metals, environmental toxins, pesticides, herbicides, plastics, like parasites hold on to an insane amount of things and they Mm. gobble them up. Um, so like... I have like so many thoughts about this, I'm trying to organize my thoughts here on all the parasite stuff. But 
Um, like if we get a client who like we've hit parasite cleansing, we know they have an issue. We pull their blood labs, you know, and their blood markers are just flaring with a parasite infection. And we hit parasites for one month, two months, three months, and they're still passing an insane amount of parasites. It's really clear to me that parasites are not the issue. Parasites are there for a reason and they're cleaning Mm. something up. So all of these pathogens and toxins have a relationship with one another where like you know a lot of people think oh parasites are the root cause it's what's throwing my immune system off like it's really just a piece of the puzzle so you know the element of symbiosis yes for sure but like when do the scales tip Mm. like and if you have so many pathogens and toxins in your body that are attracting these parasites that these parasites are repopulating like bunny rabbits inside of your body and like destroying your immune function and creating you know opening all these doors for chronic illness in a bunch of different ways like we of course have to hit the parasites but like why are they overpopulating so much so i think this you know i get asked all the time on instagram and from clients and stuff like that like are parasites bad like am i trying to hit absolute zero and no you don't want to hit absolute zero and like even if you wanted to you're not going to because mm. you're gonna go walk around outside barefoot you're gonna let your dog kiss your face you're gonna go swim in a stream in the middle of the summer with your friends you're gonna drink out of that stream when you're on a survival trip like you're going to live and you're going to come into contact with the natural world and you're going to be exposed to parasites. Mm. So my approach with clients is like, let's get the infection under control. If there is one, let's try to understand why there was an infection and address those other things if needed. And then do full moon cleanses one to two times a year because you're just going to be exposed to them. So in the same way that you would deworm your dog or you would deworm large animals if you're a farmer, why don't we deworm ourselves? Mm. Like, you know, like your friend, like, honestly, it's 100% worth doing because you're setting yourself up to be preventative towards like creating some sort of immune dysregulation and potential issue in the future if these parasites do overpopulate and just, you know, wreak havoc on the body. When you say passing a parasite, mm-hmm. are we talking pee-pee caca? Or <laughs> what are we talking about here? Yeah, How I mean, that, like they crawl out your skin. So, I mean, it depends, right? Like the guinea worm, like this was something actually in Bangladesh that I saw. It was crazy. This doesn't happen to people in the U.S. very often. So just throw that out there and then we'll get into like common stuff that I see with clients. Oh, but, like, they come out of her eye? No, okay. I mean, that's happened before, but it's common. That they come out of the feet through the skin. Oh, so if you've ever seen like, I mean, this is everyone's familiar with this and you're going to be like, oh, no way. On every ambulance, there's, like, that cross with, like, the worm thing around it. I thought it was a snake. Is that a worm? Check it out. It's actually how in developing countries they would get guinea worm out of people's feet because they'll start to kind of come out, but it needs something to crawl out on. So a lot of people in developing countries will, like, put a stick there to get the parasite to crawl out of the skin fun little tip that's rad super crazy but no so that's not like very common in the u.s i'm sure it happens to some people but like you could be like at work and then like a worm comes out (laughs) into your shoe is that what we're talking about here i I don't think it happens like that usually but maybe i'm sure it's happened before to people but i mean the bulk of so like i think a lot of people are hearing me talk about parasites you guys are probably thinking the same thing and you're like oh my god worms like craziness they're gonna be alive coming out of me yeah. It's not how this happens. Oh, okay. Um, and they don't just like crawl out by themselves. Like they do come out with your bowel movements. The protocols that we put clients on, um, they are, we're killing them. So we are using multiple different products. First thing you have to do is like open and support drainage detoxification pathways. Because if we start to just like 
jump in and push parasites out right away, you're going to feel like absolute shit. So anyone listening to this, don't do don't do parasite cleanse by yourself. You should work with someone because um, you have to make sure those drainage and detoxification pathways are open and functioning well. Because, you know, as we mentioned, parasites can hold up to six times their body weight of all this crap. And when you kill them and they die, they release all these things. Ooh. So we use binders in our practice to bind to all of these toxins. We use um, certain herbs and seeds and things that help to essentially trap parasites. And there's not just worm and helminth-based parasites. There's amoebas. There's, you know, these microbial-based parasites you can't see with the naked eye. Those forms usually cause more of diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of depends on your symptoms and stuff and blood work of, like, what will target. But... We use pretty broad reaching herbals that'll kind of hit everything. But the bulk of our clients usually start to see parasites like once we get to that point after we hit drainage for a month and we jump into genuine parasite cleansing. Um, once you start taking those herbs, probably within like one to three days, like you'll start passing parasites. And you can see them. You can see them. Some people, you have to dig a little bit. Things get a little grody. So if you're like... You like sell them a poopy stick with the pack so that they can dig around in there. I'm, I'm curious. I don't, I don't sell the poopy sticks, but like you, you just can go to their buy, backyard. go buy kebabs. Some people oh, buy like okay. um, pipe cleaners and shit like that because they kind of get grabby. Um, stick whatever you want to do. They but get literally, grabby. Like, you mean the you, worm gets grabby? No, I mean like the pipe cleaner will kind of like. Oh. You can kind of grab onto things a little bit better okay, with I that know. versus just like a stick. Gotcha. Like well, things will just kind of like break apart and slough off if you're using like a stick or a kebab um but yeah i mean they're dead you'll you'll feel them die like that's kind of the craziest thing is like we've had and i've parasite cleansed a bunch i had to feel them die they so because parasites release all these toxins people usually get a wave of symptoms Uh so the most common thing i see is people get like a wave of anxiety or they'll be like really wound up and on edge and nervous system and overdrive for like a day or so um and then like a day later, hours later, they'll have like crazy stomach cramping and then like have urge to go to the bathroom and pass parasites. Whoa, my life is changing right now. I am learning a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if this is something I want to do or if now I'm scared of doing it. It's a little scary the first time. I mean, I'll be honest, the first time that I ever like dug parasites out of my bowel movements, I was like shaking. Mm. Like my hands were like shaking. What kind of herbs crazy. are you using? Like, yeah. are these things you you grow at home or you buy packets? I mean, you could, but I, so I work with a company called Cellcore Biosciences. They're these incredible doctors that were running into these roadblocks with their clients. And then they realized like, we're missing all of this, you know, all of these different elements. Dude went to India, blah, blah, blah. The story goes on. Now they have this incredible supplement line. Um, Like a holistic. A holistic based supplement line. Yeah. And so the parasitic herbs that I use largely, um, mimosa pudica seed is the biggest one. Um, that's Cellcore's Para One product. Mm. And mimosa pudica is like a flowering herb that's pretty big in like Indian culture and Middle Eastern culture. But a lot of people use like the whole plant. Not a lot of people are familiar with using the seed. So the mm. seed has an extremely like thick, viscous type of like gel that it will make it's kind of like chia seeds if you grind up chia seeds or flax seeds yeah throw it in water it'll create like that big gel um but with mimosa pudica seed the way that it works in the gastrointestinal system it is essentially is like scrubbing the gut mm. so mimosa pudica is one of the biggest ones that we use that essentially kind of traps 
parasites and helps to slough off any type of biofilm, bacteria, anything that's kind of covering it. Um, biofilm is like a whole other thing that if you want me to talk about, I can, but it's something that like protects parasites and bacteria from being seen from the immune system. So we usually do some biofilm busting and breaking that down before we can actually get in and get rid of parasites, depending upon how severe the parasitic infection is that we're dealing with. But Mimosa Pudica is a really big one. We use that with pretty much everyone. And then we use another blend that has um, like black walnut and a bunch of other different types of like pretty typical anti-parasitic herbals. Mm. But the bulk of these products are just anti-parasitic herbal blends. Some of them are capsules, some of them are tinctures. Uh, the great thing about these is you can titrate up or titrate down. You can open up some of the capsules. The most, the most pudica you don't want to because it creates that gel and it's like truly terrible mm. <laughs> to ingest not in a capsule form. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's like a whole extremely effective process that we follow. For your clients, what percentage are men versus women? We're probably like 80-20. Okay. Um, we get a lot, a lot of the men that we work with are actually husbands or significant others of the women that, that we work with. Yeah, and like they see the, it and they exactly. get like introduced to it and they're like, hmm, maybe I could try that. Yes. Because yeah. it, it feels like, and Lauren and I joke about this all the time, which is every single female <laughs> that we know has stomach problems. Like we, we don't, mm-hmm. every woman I run into, there's a story and this yeah. chronology of their stomach getting worse and better or they just yeah. have chronic stomach problems. Everyone has a story, but mm-hmm. I feel like guys don't talk about it as much. Oh, they do. They do. They okay. do. So maybe just not my guy friends. We yeah, got, I mean, I don't think it's like a common thing to talk about. I also, I mean, there's a massive, a whole other part of this stuff too is like emotional health. Like mm-hmm. I have yet to work with someone who has chronic inflammatory illness that doesn't have some sense of feelings of abandonment in their life to some extent. Mm. Like there's massive connections of emotions. This is going to sound kind of woo and fucking crazy, but like we store our emotions in our organs. Yeah. And, you know, stomach especially is a lot of like anxiety, fear. Um, You know, there's a lot of discomfort that can sit in the stomach. And if you think about emotions, it's like energy in motion in the body. And if we're not dealing with and clearing those things out, they're going to get stuck somewhere. And they often get stuck in specific organ systems. Like I see a lot of gastro issues with like anxiety, fear, um, you know, not feeling approved of in some kind of way, which is very common for women. Um, Liver gallbladder health and any stagnation there. I see a ton of anger, resentment, irritability. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's kind of fun like when you get to this point of like where I'm at in my career because we'll have clients go through like parasite cleansing like you want to talk about emotional clearing like holy shit people have crazy emotional clearing and like mental clarity after going through parasite cleansing but we'll get a lot of people that have liver flukes which is like a type of parasite and Mm -hmm. they often will attach to the liver hence the name they can get stuck in the common bile duct like liver bile duct yeah um and we'll have clients pass like crazy amounts of liver flukes but they will be like in rage mode like the, the day before they pass a ton of liver flukes it's so weird that it's we think insane. about the mind and body being like completely separate. Like all this it's happens. Part of the body. This happens in my mind and yeah. like my body is a whole separate thing. Yeah. It's like no, it's all connected. Yeah. It's just like, like your brain is an organ. Yeah, I, I think it was yeah. um I just can't remember who it was. 
Sam something the guy talks about consciousness a lot but he like Mm. talks about how humans always imagine themselves kind of up here by the eyes and looking out like our consciousness is up here we forget that it's kind of everywhere like yeah just as much just because this is an organ these are all organs too 100% it's kind of weird that we always imagine them separately because we picture ourselves to be up here yeah and then this kind of attached to us right yeah well and especially if you're someone who's in your head a lot it can feel like you literally live like from the neck up Mm. Uh, like there's a lot of people who we get that are like very sick and dealing with a lot of different mental health issues because of expressions of whether it's parasites lyme whatever these like neurodegenerative types of things that create a lot of neuroinflammation where they're just like cycling in their heads all day and like they're not in their body Mm. like they just are not connected to that part of themselves which is wild is are autoimmune diseases more common now or are we just recognizing more? They're more common now. Really? Than ever I'm going to be bold. That's my opinion. Okay. Research, no, 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 I like it. Research is really wishy-washy about this stuff. Okay. But I feel like you can say that about everything. You could be like, oh, like depression is more common now because we're reporting it more and we're talking about it more. Like, okay. duh, like from a critical thinking standpoint on all of these things, it's like again kind of going back to that chart of graphing of looking at our health from like you know world war ii to now you look at the crap that is in our food system and the way that it's impacting our health like we are way more sick now than we were in our grandparents generation you look at the rate of childhood cancer you look at the rate of childhood autoimmune illnesses like kids coming out the womb with insane illnesses like meningitis is different it's communicable um but like these chronic illnesses like children with diabetes like type 1 diabetes was never a thing that children had back in our grandparents age wow it was very rare if at all so like we look at these things and like in my mind this is really an issue of toxic burden over time so a lot of people don't know this but you can pass your toxicity that your body has been exposed to to your child in utero sure yeah that, i mean that right. makes a lot of sense to me 100 percent. but we don't think about that so if you think about like the generational toxicity that's been passed down of like you know my grandfather was sprayed with ddt because that was like the healthy thing to do when he was growing up which right. we know now is like a load of crap roundup yeah like holy crap um or like all the stuff in our food system or like if your mother had mercury filling she can pass up to two-thirds of that mercury heavy metal Mm. to you which is massive neuroinflammatory contributes to all sorts of different illnesses and add and adhd and alzheimer's and cancer cancer crazy amount of stuff so like you logically and critically think about this stuff and how like the modern world has just exponentially increased since that time um like of course these things are coming in at higher rates that's my thought science will say like if you google this it's like oh, but i don't know <laughs> is like, that what it no sounds shit. like <laughs> it's exactly what it says <laughs> <laughs> i just feel like i feel like there might be a little bit of both like some i think it's probably some things are more common now and yeah some things are just reported more commonly For now. Sure. i think there's probably points where you could pick and choose yeah. and there's, there's a nuance there there's certainly things like things that are caused by microplastics are definitely more common yeah. now than they were 100 years ago right because you didn't have them exactly so i think like lifestyle things where you can pinpoint that's a very easy one for me to cherry pick i'm sure there's yeah. a lot of other environmental factors that cause certain diseases to be more prevalent versus yeah. just more commonly reported for and sure. lyme disease is one i'm curious about because 
it's certainly growing exponentially in like the, the yeah. awareness uh, at least in the western world mm-hmm. but like i think when my grandparents were around i don't think people talked about lyme disease and yeah my understanding is partially that's because it's hard to test it's a combination of three specific proteins in the blood and it's yeah. a little bit more intensive than testing for the cold or things like that so maybe they yeah. weren't testing back then but now i mean i know at least 10 people probably I, I would say comfortably 10 maybe 20 mm-hmm. that have Lyme disease or have had a bout with Lyme disease. Yeah, and yeah. That's a lot of people, and that's a very serious, life-changing moment. Yeah. I wonder how common it is. Now it's extremely overall. common. I think that. I mean, I probably have an odd thought and opinion on this because this is like a lot of our clients have Lyme. Mm. Um, but yeah, Lyme is extremely hard to test for because it can lay dormant. Um, even though it is bacterial in nature, it does function very similar to a retroviral type of thing. So like a cold sore, herpes simplex virus one is a retroviral thing where like it's going to manifest itself when the immune system is, you know, tanked. Mm. Um, so even though a Lyme is not, you know, viral in nature, it's bacterial it functions in a similar type of manner where like when the immune system is dysregulated and tanked, Lyme will flare like crazy. So this is where like a lot of people are like, yeah, I kind of always felt kind of sick and I don't know. And then like my health absolutely tanked. We couldn't figure out what it was. I got diagnosed with MS and this, this, this and that. And then I found out I had Lyme. Hmm. So it's usually, you know, and a lot of people are misdiagnosed. Like anytime I get a client who comes to me, who's like, I have MS. I'm like, no, you have Lyme. Hmm. Like you have a Lyme issue. And we've seen MS, RA, all sorts of autoimmune markers like completely drop as soon as we address drainage, parasites, mold, Lyme and co-infections, and we re-regulate the immune system so that it can actually put this stuff at bay. You know, like in my opinion, we're essentially working to put these things into remission and it's absolutely possible. The conventional medical model is very much rooted in like, this is bacterial and we're gonna drill it with antibiotics. And the unfortunate thing about antibiotics, although there is a benefit sometimes for them, just like we talked about you with meningitis, um, antibiotics literally stand for like anti-life, like anti-against, biotics, bio-life, like you're killing everything. Yeah. So you're wiping everything out. So not only are you like knocking out Lyme bacteria, but you're killing everything off. And the tricky thing with Lyme is that it can do something called pleomorph, which... This is another thing that I feel like a lot of people are not familiar with when it comes to looking at Lyme is pleomorphism is the ability for bacteria or a pathogen to change its shape, structure, and function. Mm. So it can literally change into a different type of bacteria, which is what makes Lyme really hard to test for. If you're not actively flaring and in absolute like, you know, dog shit symptoms with Lyme, you're not going to get a positive test. And Western blot, I think, is, you know, definitely the most common test that people are familiar with. But there's other tests from, like, hygienics, DNA-based, are a little bit more specific, but they still don't hit the nail on the head. So I oftentimes will run bioenergetic testing where we're literally looking at, like, the frequency of Lyme and is it showing up in your body. Hmm. And that's when we'll address things. So, like, I have Lyme, um, but I've never had it manifest to the extent of, like, that I would think I would get a positive test from like Western blot or hygienics or like some of these other more DNA based, you know, high standard of like where you'd get a diagnosis of Lyme. Like, I don't think I'd ever be diagnosed as Lyme. 
But I had all the symptoms for a bunch of different Lyme bacteria and co-infections. It's really common to go hand in hand with mold. And as soon as I like hit mold detox and parasites, I had a bunch of Lyme symptoms that came up, but they were pretty mild. Mm. Um, ran a bioenergetic test, came back with Borrelia, Babesia, Mycoplasma, um, Rickettsia, like Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. I had like a bunch of weird co-infections and things that came up. Um, did a homeopathic series therapy, which essentially trains the immune system to manage this bacteria better. And like, I don't have any patterns or frequency of Lyme in my body anymore. Wow. So, but I would think that like, if you take me and I, you know, eat standard American diet, treat my body like shit, keep living in mold, I can almost guarantee you I would be like stage four Lyme in a couple years. Wow. So, so it just depends. Are you going to pass that to the little one then? It's actually the entire reason why Stu and I, after we miscarried and we found out about mold and I like went down this whole health journey and I found out that I had Lyme, I was like, I have to get this shit into remission completely before we get pregnant because you can pass Lyme in utero. That's what I was wondering. But usually only when it's active. So like if you're actively flaring and you have Lyme, that's when it's most likely based on like the most recent research. Wow. My kid could still have it. I have no idea. But it just, like, puts into perspective how important the decisions you make are. Maybe not just Lyme, but, like, all yeah. the decisions you make as a pregnant mother must be 100%. really important. Uh, and those are things yeah. that probably folks didn't know no, until I mean, recently. I mean, preconception is massive. Like, we're creating programs around preconception right now to help people get educated on, like, what are things you need to do before you start genuinely considering reproducing and having children so that your kids can be healthy, so you can have a healthy pregnancy, so you can feel good. Um, for you and your partner a lot of you know fertility and preconception I think is focused on the woman but like men are 50% of the picture here like they supply the sperm and you know how many issues do we have with sperm and testosterone and fertility on both sides like they're, yeah. they're both important so sure. and it's not just you know I think preconception and fertility is important for everyone whether you want kids or not because your fertility and your libido and your hormone cycles and fluctuations are like one of your vital signs mm -hmm. as a person like if you are not healthy happy and horny something's wrong mm, <laughs> like if we're not if you don't have a libido you're likely in survival mode at some capacity something's out of whack yeah so makes sense it's it's interesting hearing your perspective because from a health professional it's so much more naturalistic i feel mm -hmm. like your your ideas most of them i'm drawing a connection back to like some principle of nature yeah and is, th is that like the the pitch like when somebody is coming to you as a as a professional you're not a doctor as a professional are they looking for a more naturalistic way or what's the what's the inclination yeah I mean not necessarily I would say the bulk of the people who come to us are pissed and they're like pissed. I, they're just pissed at their situation like they feel like shit they've been to an insane amount of doctors who run their labs and their blood work and say everything's normal everything looks great and they still feel like hell and maybe mm. they believe that for a year and they're like everything's normal okay cool i'm gonna like get over this and then they go to maybe an acupuncturist then maybe they go to you know whoever they go to next um and you know there's definitely like a craft and an art and a science to the work that i do and it's listening to people it's looking at labs from a functional standpoint looking at different reference ranges because i'm looking for optimal health not mm. the average population that's what conventional blood markers are is you're looking at 
Ah. research from generations of the average population of what healthy looks like. I never thought to question the reference intervals. Yeah. That makes a lot question of sense. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm learning that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it is largely focused in nature what we do. But again, like most people aren't like, hey, I'm like really natural and I would love to like jump into your approach here because we agree on these things. Like mm. a lot of people are like, I don't know what the fuck you do. I don't know what the letters behind your name mean, but like you have a ton of incredible success and like my best friend referred me and I'm so sick of dealing with Crohn's and being on meds and I've been to 10 doctors and no one can tell me what's wrong. Mm. And I'm like, sweet, cool. This is what we do. Let's run some labs. So it's not a bunch of not a bunch of long haired bush hippies like, oh, no, you're the lady that stares at the sun. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, I actually get a lot of like pretty well to do people that are just like they're just fucking people who feel like shit and want to feel better and like live their life. And I think that's like where the bulk of my passion comes from is in all the life chapters that I've been through. Like, I know what it feels like to be held back, to have your mental health be like total dog shit, to not feel like yourself, to not have the energy to go hike and snowboard or go lift as much as I want or like do whatever I want to do and live out my Mm. purpose and have a ton of energy to show up for other people. And I think because I understand that and I've been through those things, I'm like, I don't want anyone to have to deal with that if they don't have to. Yeah. And you don't have to. There's a way out. There's a way to figure that out. There's a way to get the body back in balance and the body is not stupid. Give me three tips that involve no money that mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you're like not feeling optimal where are the first three places you would start yeah i mean number one uh shit there's so many good things um and there's a lot of really good free things we'll mm-hmm. see where my talking goes but there might be a slightly more than three but i feel like the biggest one is like just get outside like get outside we're hardwired to live in the natural world so many of us like i know you guys totally agree with this stuff and talk about on the podcast lab like we're in rubber shoes we're in synthetic fluorescent fluorescent lights we're staring at phones um you know the lighting that we get that comes in from our phones and screens and all sorts of things and lights and doors is not the same lumen as what you're getting from the sun there is something biologically hardwired in all of us of our circadian rhythm and our mood and our energy and our sleep cycles and our hormone cycles that are set with the sun and with nature so get outside get your feet on the ground take your rubber shoes off you know get into the sunlight you don't need to stare into the sun but just like even on a cloudy day the amount of lumen that you're getting from the sun on a cloudy day is more than from your cell phone or lights indoors you need to get outside you need to get light into your retina it will set so many things up so kind of like two things in one there but definitely get outside um community is huge i think Mm. this is another thing that a lot of people don't talk about in health but if you look at any um population of the world that is you know has crazy amounts of longevity they have strong connections to community they have strong human relationships long-standing relationships with people that mean something to them whether Mm. that's family whether that's friends like build community somehow that you're connected with where you feel loved supported seen heard validated seek that out be very intentional about that Mm. um that has massive implications on our stress on our health on so many things so get outside build some good connections um i would say like third and most basic is just make sure you're drinking enough water mm. um, and make sure you're getting minerals in that water. I yeah. think a lot of people think that 
oh, in order to be hydrated, I just need to slam a ton of water. Like minerals are actually what's going to hydrate your cells. At the edge of every cell, we have sodium potassium pumps. And these sodium potassium pumps are essentially what regulate if the cell is going to actually absorb water or Mm. just let the water kind of go by the cell. So when we think about hydration, we really need to be thinking about cellular hydration. Sodium, magnesium. Yes, potassium, all of those things, chloride. And one of the easiest ways to do this, very cheap and easy way, I know you said free, so this is like kind of free, is getting like Himalaya salt or Redmond's real salt, a mineral salt, not iodized table salt. That stuff is absolute crap. But just take a pinch of salt and put it in every glass of water. You don't have to buy crazy fancy minerals. I do because I fucking love them. They make me feel great. Um, but like buy some high quality salt from the store that's like five, ten bucks and put a pinch in every glass of water. And I carry you'll a notice rock. The difference. Like you know how yeah. like the, the we still pink have crystals. Those. You ha- oh yeah, you yeah. have it from the They're like sitting in our kitchens. My husband like licks them all the time. Yeah, they're great. We still have them. And <laughs> it's funny, I was listening to Huberman the other day because I was like I was thinking about this and they were talking about salt dosing, salt dosing him and Andy Galvin because yeah. I mean, it's massive for endurance sports. 100%. And I'm always interested in what they say for dosing because some people say you need thousands of milligrams yeah. and some people say you should be mixing it intermittently. And he was saying one of the best ways to test salt is by taste. And yeah. I'm like, when I'm done with a double 14 or in a long day, I will lick, like I'll have a piece of salt and I'll lick it. And then eventually it'll no longer taste good to me. And then yeah. I put it away. That's how minerals it, work. It's just like perfect. Like my body's yeah. like more, two more licks, one more like you're done. And yeah. then I have no urge for salt. And I feel like yeah. I just ate a three course meal. Like I have enough energy yeah. to do anything. It's an incredible thing. Like the, the intuition of listening to your body and to hear a right. scientist say, rather than dosing, just no, go by taste. Just go by taste. Yeah. And he says the same thing with thirst. He's like, one of the best ways to gauge your thirst is like, if you're drinking water and it's like, oh, wow, that was so good. He's like, yeah. you're dehydrated. Yeah. It's like that, that meaning is that your body is craving right. more water. You shouldn't be taking a sip of water and be like, oh, thank yeah. God. That means you're dehydrated. Right. And it's like, again, nature is smarter than science. Like our bodies are not stupid. And you think about like salt licks out for animals it's like they're gonna come they're gonna lick as much salt as they want and then they're gonna get the hell out of there yeah there's actually a tincture that we use with clients who have like pretty out of whack minerals and um it's like five to eight different minerals in small bottles and you just go by taste however Mm. many drops you need and then that's like your supplementation that's pretty cool it's pretty sweet but yeah that's how minerals are like we used to do a zinc taste test too people who are deficient in zinc a lot of people are Mm. um but if you like take a zinc supplement and swish it around in your mouth and it tastes like fuzzy and gross and disgusting like you're probably set probably don't need it but some people who are deficient it'll taste really sweet see i like like the taste of minerals will change depending upon your deficiency or sufficiency of that mineral i like the idea that the body knows best like something about that feels it feels right Right. It's like as intended. Yeah. It's, it makes it's, too much sense. It, that's the thing is it makes too much sense. <laughs> yeah. The the other one you said that I resonated with was uh, community. Yeah. Because I've had points in my life where I've been relatively nomadic, not really talking to any people, whether yeah. it's out in the bush or whatever. And no matter how healthy and how much time I'm spending doing what I love, I never feel whole unless yeah. I have community. And like I get, like literally my favorite thing to do is to move my body and be in the bush, but if I'm only doing that alone, I'll never you can never feel yeah. complete on your own. Mm-hmm. There's like a, a saying 
that a lone primate is a dead primate yeah in nature so that's true i mean we're tribal right like you look back at what's that book i forget who wrote this but it's called sapiens and it's like the history of human evolution Mm -hmm. and like we're hardwired for a hundred deep close connections anything more than that is overwhelming for us Hmm. um which i think is part of the reason why the massive you know intertwined lives across the entire world on social media is unbelievably stressful yep um, cause we're not hardwired for it, but you know, even if you're incredibly introverted or you're wildly extroverted, being deeply connected to other people, like we are 1000% hardwired for that. Mm. That's for one sure. of the best things about the pod is just coming in and sitting down and talking with a friend for a while. Hang out with people. Yeah. It's like, you know, you it's don't have stuff. to be messaging on your phone and like staring at it and imagining yeah. what their facial expressions are like. You're like, Oh, well, I just you gonna- miss that. Right. Like. Especially, I mean, I've been on Instagram utilizing that platform to leverage business for the last six to seven years. And like Stu, my husband and I have this saying um, that social media breeds mass intimacy, which is a 100% oxymoron Mm. because intimacy means intimacy. It means usually with one other person or a small group of people sharing something very important to you and very Mm. um, intimate. And when you think about human communication and body language and like if I'm going to sit down and I'm going to share something that is like tearing me apart or I'm super embarrassed about it or something that I need to be vulnerable, vulnerable about and deeply loved for whatever it is like I want to be looked in the eye. I want to be held. I want someone to like turn their head to the side, come hug me afterwards. Like there's all these different human cues Mm -hmm. that I think social media has really completely fucked us mentally. And there's tons of studies and research on this. It's like no surprise Um, that like when you share these very intimate things that we're used to having intimacy around, but you share it to the masses, it's Mm -hmm. like you get that dopamine kick of getting it off your back, but you receive nothing. And like maybe you get these like, you know, few messages but it is not the same thing as sitting down with someone else. It's like not. there's a massive energy exchange. There's body language exchange. Um, you can't replace that. So, I mean, that's like another huge thing. Huge element of community is like social media does not count as your community yeah, connection. Like it needs to be real and in person. In person. Yeah, I couldn't sure. agree more. The uh, the last two things I want to dig into. And you can just take them or leave them and tell Ooh. me. I just want to, I want quick answers because, and these are again, the reason I have this podcast is because I'm selfish and I want to <laughs> talk to people that I want to talk to and ask them the questions that I want to hear. Yeah, yeah. And Let's so hear it. these are those questions. I'm so curious. Yeah. I just had to preface that. This isn't for anyone listening. This is for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, where funny. do you stand on tap water? It's absolute trash. Mm. No one should drink tap water. Really? What's the solution? You've got to filter your water. You gotta filter your water. Lauren's freaking out. Did I just drop a bomb in here? <laughs> We'd be drinking tap water sometimes. We don't well, do it. Well, I, I drink a lot of coconut water. Yeah, coconut water is great. I love coconut water. Tap water is just trash. I'll have to send you a handful of things. Um, we have a filter. Yeah, filter. I mean, it depends on what it's filtering, right? I don't know the answer. Yeah. It's worth looking into. I'm a big fan of Greenfield Water Solutions. It's where we get our water filtration system from. Zach Greenfield, I can give you his number. He's like the shit. Okay. Um, but yeah, tap water is truly trash. I mean, you get an ungodly amount of things in there. Like we have water treatment centers and stuff, of course. But like we chlorinate the crap out of our water. We fluoridate the crap out of our water. Iodine. 
iodine, like, and they're all synthetic forms of nutrients. Like, we've already talked about this. So it's like, eh, you know, how beneficial is that? Not that beneficial. But we're also getting a bunch of other crap, like antibiotics, like COVID was found in the water. And it's like, who's to say where the fuck that came from? Is it coming out of people's bodies? Did it like somehow get into the water supply? Like, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but it's like you critically think about some of these things. And it's like water supply is a really big deal. And you look at water in any other country and it's like artesian wells and water that's coming down that is structured because it's run through these, you know, channels of rocks that are charged you know to a certain frequency that structures literally the shape of the water i don't know if you've ever looked at um research around oh shit there's a book i can't think of the name of it it's called the shape of water Uh uh-huh i i've looked at some studies like you can change the makeup of water by yelling at it yeah or even thinking setting the intention or setting the intention of like if i'm thinking in my mind like i love you i love you i love you like the water structure and crystals will look different it's interesting because there's some old like coyote teachers that say a similar thing about fire that Mm. you can change a fire's course and build and uh, you know, IBUs based on your thoughts and things you say to it. And I've always thought it was yeah. like just too hocus pocus for me. Like I'm, I'm pretty woo woo about some things and others yeah. less, but that one I was like, eh, I'm going to leave that one where yeah. it stands. <laughs> and now after reading these water studies where it's like, if I yell at water and ch- it changes, yeah. and you can literally set up science to, to monitor that. Now yeah. I'm like, all right, well, if I can yell at water and change it, I guess, Yelling yeah. at fire probably changes it too. Yeah. I'm I like, mean, it's quantum physics, right? Like, and we're what, like 70, 80% water? Yeah. Just like, think about Whoa. the impact that thoughts have, the people that you spend your time around, the music getting yelled at. that you listen to, getting yelled at, or getting patted on the back. Say to you. It's yeah. massive. Wow. Change your fucking life. That is pretty incredible. It's cool because we're starting to actually have like cold, hard evidence of these things. Yeah. But and, yeah. you know, dumb people like me need that. <laughs> you know, because if not, I would walk through my life believing everything I hear, you know, so I have yeah. to be a little bit skeptical about it. some things that I, I would like to That's see some valid. evidence. Because yeah. if not, I would just believe that mm-hmm. the world is flat and <laughs> I would have a flat earth podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> it's important for me to have a couple tools to rely on. A hundred percent. All right. So tap water's out. Tap water's out. Other one I wanted to know. What is your take on seed oils? Total trash. Total trash. We're two for two. Two for two. Yeah. I so, like, I'll throw, I'll throw it all out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm curious to hear your perspective on them. This is something that we've been talking about a lot is trying to eliminate them from our life. And I'm curious Dude, so from hard. your perspective, uh, yeah. what you think about seed oils and not just what you think about them, but how to best handle modern life with seed oils. Modern life of seed oils. Should you be avoiding them altogether at all costs, carnivore MD style, or are you going to be less paranoid about it than an extremist would? Yeah, I mean, there's a balance here, right? And, like, anyone who's like, "Mm, I don't know, maybe seed oils aren't that bad. YouTube, how seed oils are made, how canola oil is made, and you'll probably never want to eat it ever again. I've seen it. The process is unbelievable. So Um, long. It's terrible. There's so many steps. Well, do you know where canola oil comes from? The canola plant. Well, it's yes. The little the rapeseed plant. It's the 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 like husk or seed or something. Right. They separate that out. I was watching the whole thing. Then they sift it and then they put it through a giant magnet and then they press it again and then they put it in this cooker. Yeah. And it like gets up to a certain temperature and then it like expels this sludge. 
Yeah. It's pretty gross. And they like chlorinate it. The funny thing about seed oils in general and seeds in general and the fats and fatty acids that come out of seeds is that they're extremely delicate. Mm -hmm. So even the sunlight can denature and putrefy the fats that are in seed oils. So like olive oil should always come in a dark bottle, should never come in a glass bottle because the sunlight will putrefy the fats. It's okay if it's a dark glass bottle. For like olive oil, I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about like seed oils in general, not just canola oil or sunflower seed oil. I just mean like, you know, I'm a huge fan of olive oil. I think it's great. It's technically like from a fruit, not really a seed, but it should come in a dark bottle because even the sunlight can putrefy it. But like you look at the process of rapeseed oil, canola oil, soybean oil, like it's putrefied in the process of it being made so like it's unbelievably toxic where like most high quality olive oil is not putrefied and toxic from the process it could potentially be toxic from the way that it is like bottled and shipped and Mm. stored um but yeah i mean canola oil the history of canola oil for what it's worth i don't know if a lot of people know this and this is like a short little side note and then I'll tell you my thoughts on, like, how crazy you should get of, like, eliminating it or not. Um, but when we're looking at the history of canola oil, it actually originated during World War II. Look at any fucked up shit in our food supply. It came from World War II um, as a surplus. So we created an insane amount of lubricant, ship lubricant, during World War II. We had a surplus of it. Didn't know what to do with it. Put it in our food supply. Mm. So we, like, created this, <laughs> this lubricant that was used on ships and converted it into a edible form and then it got subsidized marketed like fucking crazy and then there was all these paid research papers that were done from large scientists paid by usda fda um you know all these like massive corporations to essentially skew the research and say that canola oil is heart healthy and high quality and the best for whatever um and this is a pretty common thing unfortunately in the food industry and then you know, when I was talking about becoming an RD, not becoming an RD, and when I was like, I don't know what I think about that. Um, because of the hands that USDA, FDA, Monsanto, Pepsi, all these large food corporations and big pharma, quite frankly, have on the RD programs. Um, I was like, I don't want to be influenced by the way that I'm learning about food by these like huge corporations and big pharma because they're all in bed together. Mm. And I knew that back then. I think a lot of people knew that and have known that who have been in the nutrition field for a long period of time but like it just came out max lugavere just did a podcast and talked about this of um that it's like officially been marked down that usda fda monsanto all those people have been you know paying the rd program to push certain nutrition wow yeah things with my plate my plate and food recommendations, US FDA guidelines around food. That's incredible. I yeah. I don't know if this was in You hate to with think that. it's true, it, but it, it is. Sucks. You know? There was one where they were talking about the history of cornflakes, and mm. I don't know how close that is. Yeah, but yeah. You it's can pretty correct fucked. me if I'm wrong, but essentially cornflakes were designed to take, you know, a relatively crazy group of people who are held in some sort of ward and they wanted to diminish their sex drive and libido yep. and energy levels. So they created this cornflake, this highly processed, highly seed oil based food mm-hmm. to give to them to repress their tendencies as I don't know what those people had wrong yeah. with them. I don't remember if they were predators or, you know, just crazy. I don't know yeah. what they were, but they were trying to suppress their energy levels. And then they took cornflakes after that 
and yeah. made it into the cereal that is now sold to everyone. It's freaking crazy. I haven't heard the, um, like the predator element of that, but well, I, I do that know part like could be Quaker. Wrong. I don't know. But Quaker Oats, like that dude was a Quaker, and he okay. thought that like sexual sin was the worst of all sins, and he was trying to take away sex drive from people. Maybe I'm combining those two, but I don't. Might be. I don't know if I knew that. Maybe it's the same story and we're both missing pieces i don't know but maybe it happened in two different places that's crazy so the quaker yeah. oats is it quaker oats i might be fucking that up fact check me on that but there is a dude I'm blanking on his name i don't know why i'm thinking quaker oats but yeah there was a dude who um yeah that was like his whole ploy he's the one that started creating breakfast cereals i think it was quaker oats maybe it was i don't know cornflakes guy or quaker oats wasn't cornflakes from or Quaker? Kellogg. 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 Was That's it Kellogg? The... Kellogg's the company. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. But in terms of chaos, to answer your question, how to be, how crazy should we be around seed oils? I think that it's whatever's going to stress you out the most. If it's going to stress you out to be a fucking neurotic, crazy person and be like Paul Saladino, not that he's like fucking crazy neurotic, but like. You know, that dude's extremely strict. Some people are okay with that. Some people, it doesn't cause disordered eating patterns and they're totally fine. Like, I have a shitload of clients where, like, if we got that restrictive with them, they'd lose their minds. And, Mm. like, it's not worth it. Yeah. So, I mean, my approach is, like, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to eat some, like, fried chicken wings, gluten-free because of a fucking gluten allergy. But, like, you know, I'm going to enjoy myself. And, like, 90% of the time I'm eating home-cooked meals from extremely high-quality stuff. And then, like, I exist in this era. I exist in this you know where the food is and where our world is at and like i'm gonna enjoy it while i'm here i'm not gonna like not go out to dinner with you guys because you're like hey let's go like get this great fucking food and like i'm not gonna call the restaurant and be like do you guys use seed oils that's unacceptable and then bring my own fucking oil and then like make them cook with my lard that i got from rc like i'm not gonna go that bananas if i was really sick like there's been life chapters where i'm like I can eat like five things and anything beyond that I'm flaring like crazy. Like I'm not in that chapter anymore. Mm. So I'm not going to be crazy about it. So you got to fight your battles. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming on. I mm-hmm. am significantly smarter now. Sweet. And uh, happy to hear it. Yeah. Hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Get some more community in our lives. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Stay well, guys.